0: super talk mississippi media production have
1: you been seriously injured mama justice is here for you our medical team partners with top-notch doctors surgeons therapists and urologists ensuring a comprehensive recovery journey if you've been injured call mama justice today we're here for you
0: it's a great time to live in mississippi and we're talking about it welcome to the ricky matthew show on super talk mississippi
1: Welcome to the Ricky Matthews show from the Citizens Bank Studio. Hope you're having a great Friday, and uh, here on this show that continues to celebrate so many amazing people working in the trenches every day to uh, to make Mississippi such a great place to live, work, and play. But this is Friday uh, on uh, on the Ricky Matthews Show. My my good friend Jeff Duncan from NOLA.com and the Times In is joining me, and we'll jump right over to him. It's been uh, it's been dynamic because we talk about the Saints just about every Friday, you know. Really, 52 weeks out of the year, and we're lucky to have access to Jeff. We all hoped that this would be a a better season, but the Saints are still tied for first.
0: <laughs> amazing, <laughs> right? It's amazing, right? It's, any other well, division, they'd be pretty much out of it. But here, they, here yeah. we are. And I think the NFL yeah. must love this, Ricky. I mean, the, the Commissioner Roger Goodell, they love parity, and you've got yeah. basically three fourths of the league still alive in the playoff hunt, maybe more than that.
1: Yeah, I mean, that actually, you know, really that was a brilliant move on his part. I mean, at the end of the day, it was a brilliant move. Because we don't have the, you don't have the ability to have a a, a dominant team over 10 years anymore. You know, it's 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 going to change, and that was really important. But anyway, welcome back to the show, my friend. Has it been an interesting week at Saints training camp? I mean, how is it being a columnist when the Saints are struggling and don't really have an Well, actually, they have an identity, and that's not a good one. But how is it to be uh, you know, working in that atmosphere?
0: Well, unfortunately, I've had a lot of experience, you know, Now, not in the last decade and a half when the Breeze-Payton era was really rolling. But certainly before that, we saw a lot of this. Uh, and, it's yeah, it's not a lot of fun being out there. The players are kind of tired of talking to us, and we're kind of tired of talking to them, and it's starting to sound like a broken record. So, uh, yeah, it gets to be a little bit drudgery, but it's part of the job. And I think fans and readers in this time uh, really look out to us. Uh, they want to know what what might be wrong with the team. They, they they tend to not trust the organization as much or, you know, what the Saints are saying in the, the front office. So they look to the media to try and find answers. So sometimes our traffic uh, on the website goes way up when the team's losing because of that reason.
1: Yeah, it's a it's an interesting it's an interesting year. Biggest disappointment for me, and I think for a lot of people, is Derek Carr. He just hasn't panned out, and it's just it's hard to watch him because usually when he drops back, you know, ninety nine percent of the time he's going to dump it off to somebody, or he's going to you know not do anything. He's going to get sacked or, or whatever, and on third down it's a disaster. Um, yeah, you don't I see think- that you don't see that getting better, do you?
0: Now, well, I mean, I think the key downs in football, you know, the key situations is where he struggled, right? Third down and the red zone. Now, they played a little better in the red zone of late. Um, but everything that and we talked about this on, on our Saints Insider podcast this week, everything that we do, we have to provide context for fans, for viewers and readers. So you have to look at it within the, the context of the opponent. And that was the worst team in football last week. Uh, They've won one game. They've fired their head coach. They're in complete disarray. And yet here we are with nine minutes left in the game, and the Saints are up by one score at home, uh, you know, and, and really struggling offensively. One of their touchdowns was a special teams play. Uh, that's not good, Ricky, and I think fans are smart enough to know that. So even though the Saints did put away the Panthers late with a couple late scores, I think fans understand the standard has to be higher than that.
1: And, you know, it's it's so interesting to me that a 37-year-old tight end who has only four catches so far and three of those being touchdowns is the thing that sort of ignites the fan base. Uh, I mean, it's good to see. Don't get me wrong. It's a cool story. But it's unfortunate, isn't it?
0: Well, I tell you, I have to say, you know, he surprised me even. I was pretty down on the signing of – of Jimmy Graham, but but you know we've got a good story coming out this weekend that my colleague Luke Johnson's going to spend some time with has spent some time with him this week about how he got himself into shape to where th- that's been the most surprising thing. I noted it when he first signed. Uh, I remember Jimmy Graham being very slow uh, late in his career. Uh, he was up around two eighty, couldn't run anymore, and that was the Jimmy Graham I remember. And I thought, why why in the heck are they signing this guy? But he's been a different beast. Uh, working out uh, really training mainly as a cyclist he's gotten really into it all over Europe he's been taking uh, you know these 100 mile bike rides competitive uh, bike rides you know in these in these events and you can see it I mean he can run much better than he used to be able to run because he's dropped so much weight I think we noted earlier in the year he's down below 250. So that, as we all know, Ricky, when we get older, <laughs> the less weight we have, the better off, right? And and so he's he's got a little more agility than he had, and he's always had incredible hands. He's always had the the frame, and we saw that in action in the last week. So he's become a weapon. And Dennis Allen's mentioned it numerous times in the last week or so. He wants to see more of him, certainly in a red zone where he's six seven and can become a a real go to
1: weapon. I'm surprised they didn't do it already though, Jeff. Why are we why are we learning this so late in the season? Yeah. It's a good he he question. does ignite the team. He no, does good, have great hands. It's he a great question. catch. Balls nobody else can catch.
0: I know. That que- that catch he made on the third down to me was the biggest play of the game other than the punt block. Because the Saints were looking at kicking another field goal there. Uh you know, that's just not good enough. The fans were already kind of, you know, anxious. And he goes up between two players and makes one of the best catches they've made all year. Uh, that was a big time play, and that shows you the ability that he has. And I have to say, Derek Carr made a great throw on that. He put it right where only Jimmy Graham could get it. He was either going to be incomplete or a catch. So uh, you see sometimes the flashes from this offense and some of the flashes of playmaking ability, uh, but there's just too few, far, and in, in, in between, uh, and inconsistency rules the day here. And Look, they've got some good opponents coming up. They've got the Giants this weekend. The Giants are one of the hottest teams in the league. Then they've got to go to L.A. on a short week, play the Rams, who are also playing well. Uh, so it, you know it's going to be very interesting. I'll say that. The one thing I would say is these last four games, I mean, it's all right there for the Saints. If they win out, they're going to win the division. If they even win three of four games, Ricky, they're pretty much going to get in. If they can win this game on, on Sunday, they can almost throw the game in, in L.A., it really doesn't matter that much as long as they win the final two in the division. So there's a lot at stake for this team. We'll see how they respond.
1: So you, do you think, um, of course, Shahid's coming back. Do you think Lattimore will be back? you think um, Michael Thomas could be back?
0: Well, they're eligible to come back for that, that Rams game. The problem is it's a short week. So it's not a typical uh, you know, Sunday game. You're going to have fewer days to recover. There's really no way to know. Uh, and either of those guys uh, but that would be a huge boost if you get Sh- Rashid, Thomas and Lattimore back down the stretch and and I definitely think Taysom Hill is going to play this week I, I think he could have played last week I, to be honest with you I think the Saints were just being very cautious with him they looked at the opponent and they'll never say this publicly but we're playing a one win team at home we can we can rest him up have him healthy for the stretch run and, and that was a wise decision.
1: So I guess, you know, fans who are listening, they've heard every angle of this dangle that you and I are talking about. But I got an interesting thing I want to mention to you. I want to talk about some inside baseball for the media industry. And I've watched it so carefully. I've watched, uh, I watched numerous st- stations or YouTube channels that cover the Saints. Um, I've watched, uh, you know, Bobby A. Beer and how he's you know trying to do his, his thing onto YouTube and, uh, I mean, I've, re- I've, I've paid attention to VUE and WDUSU, uh, and WWL Radio, WWL TV. I've watched what you guys are doing. I've watched two or three other niche guys. I've watched New Orleans football. And I'm not going to try to put anybody in any particular category right now. But what I've noticed is you have you guys <laughs> really are covering it as clearly as you can. you got some others that are kind of faking it. You got others that are just trying to exacerbate it as much as possible to create as many views, and some are just flat arrogant. and And when you watch some of the interviews and you watch, um, you know, some of some of the coach availabilities and whatever, it's got to be hard to sit there and watch what used to be a more defined media world that you were in, and it's kind of the wild west now. And how does that affect you as a reporter? I'm just curious about that.
0: Well, it's certainly, I'd say this, you're spot on. I mean, it's really changed a lot in the last decade or so uh, covering the team. I I think it's difficult for fans and for news consumers, uh, you know, your viewers and readers to draw the line between what's real journalism and kind of what's what I call like fanboy journalism there's just a lot of gray areas out there right now and the problem you have with fans start covering the team in my opinion and look there's a lot of them that do a great job and they know football they know the Saints they know whatever whatever field they're on it's not that they don't know a lot or are passionate about it it's that when you're when you're uh, you know, passionately involved emotionally, you tend to go up and down with the results of the team, and, and and we try to, you know, pride ourselves on being objective and staying down the middle. Now, some fans will tell you they want they want passion, they want emotion, but that's certainly not the way you can do it professionally. Uh, you can't be invested emotionally in that regard. So we try to maintain an objective line uh, in our coverage.
1: Hey, listen. uh, When we come back, I have one more observation about that, and then we'll talk about um, current injuries and you know how you think the Saints are going to match up against the New York Giants. We'll see you after this break.
0: and love for Mississippi is why he's here. This is the Ricky Matthews Show on Super Talk Mississippi.
1: Welcome back to the Ricky Matthews Show from the Citizens Bank studio. I'm still a little stuffy from my my week-long bout with COVID. Very different than last time. This is like a really, really, really bad cold, but because we have some uh, compromised people in our family, we've had had to quarantine like you normally would. But last time I had low O2 and all that stuff. I didn't have that this time. I just I just mostly have stuffiness and headaches. And and doctors treated me pretty aggressively because of my heart arrhythmia that are, that are, that happened last time I had COVID. I didn't have any issues with it this time at all. But I feel great. While I may not sound on top of my game, I'm thrilled to have uh, my friend Jeff Duncan with us today from NOLA.com and the Times Picayune. We were just chatting a lot about sort of the 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 way the team is covered today. And um, it's a it's just it's just interesting for me to watch it and um, you know it's a kind of like new media you know, colliding with traditional media that 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 also has a digital footprint. It's it's really a, a crazy world that we live in today. Hey, you've helped me see something though. I I I got a little caught up in Bobby Eber was a little bit too I don't know I I wasn't so so sure about him, but I've been paying closer attention to him. And you told me that when you were at, um, at training camp with him, that his observations were always something you wanted to listen to. And so I paid a lot more attention to him. And you know what? He calls it like he sees it. He does not pull any punches. And his observations, Jeff, usually are pretty darn on target. I mean, he's and he's got such an interesting way that he expresses himself, as you well know. <laughs> But um, but I'm a bit more of a fan of Bobby's than I was before.
0: Oh yeah, Bobby's great, and you know, and it's funny I referenced him in my column over the weekend because I found it funny in the locker room last week, Ricky, when talking to some of the players, and they were all taken aback by the booing at the Superdome, and uh, you know, they've lived relatively charmed life in New Orleans with with the way things have gone. They haven't really seen the the, the downside of pro sports because they've been so successful here. And so I had a column, if you if you saw it last week, about the history of booing in the dome. I mean, I've I've seen yeah. so much uglier scenes than than what we saw against the Lions. And Bobby Abner was the subject of a lot of it. You know, when he went to the the Falcons and came back, and I mean, he, he endured that for a long time. The passionate fan fans we have here, uh, but uh, this booing at the dome is is not a recent occurrence. It's gone on as long as this. I think. Keith Schuler got booed in his second game here as a quarterback. There was other quarterbacks got booed in the preseason, so it, it it's a tradition in New Orleans.
1: Well, haven't you, you know, that actually shows you the novice level of some of the reporting. The way there's been so much, so much anxiety about you know the fact that the dome is booing. You know, I, I thought that's why your column was so incredible because it, it it's almost like a shot back to these guys in the media that were trying to. You know, figure out, you know, why are they doing this and how did this make you feel? And you're like, dude, this is nothing new. You know, the the Saints fans expect excellence. And when they don't get it, they let you know, you know? Yeah,
0: I'd say this, you know, one thing, it, it feels like this team hasn't connected with the fans very well. Maybe it's the, you know, some of the infighting on the field we've seen, you know, the, I don't know exactly what it is. I, I wrote that this week. There's a little bit of a disconnect between the team and the fan base. Uh, you know, there was that great love affair between Drew Brees, right, and, and the fans. And then Sean Payton brought this kind of uh, confidence, almost cockiness, to the to the organization that I think they needed at the time. And, uh, you know, that became this gravitas that the Saints carried themselves with. There was a pride in wearing the fleur-de-lis that we hadn't seen before, and I just think that that's missing now. You know, the fans want to follow somebody; they they want somebody to be the leader, and there's just there's a little bit of a vacuum there. And and I don't know who's going to step forward, or if anybody's going to step forward on this team.
1: Hey, listen, man. Here's there's, the the problem with Carr is this: that when he speaks to the to the uh, to the press, he never says anything. He never says anything. There's no, I, I don't see, sense any authenticity about him whatsoever. I don't sense being honest with with us. I don't think he's being honest with the with the media. He just, you know, it's like a, he's a wallflower, and and he's just he never says anything. You know, he doesn't <laughs> own up to his own behavior. It's a, it's a really an incredible thing, actually, and it yeah. frustrates fans.
0: I'd, I'd say that's that's a fair point. Uh, you know, now I remember. Drew Brees had a way of politicking there. You know, I remember his own teammate Scott Fujita, called him annoyingly optimistic. Uh, That was this phrase uh, about Drew. And and so Drew was kind of like that, too. He was kind of senatorial, almost like a politician. But he had a different panache in front of the the mics and the cameras. And um, maybe because he had skins on the wall, he won a Super Bowl here. Uh, he had a longer leash with fans, but he would tend to do that as well. I mean, just you'd go to Drew when things were bad, and he'd never let on, similarly to, to Derek, but Derek just hasn't built up that collateral, you know, that equity with the fan base so far, and he hasn't played well enough, in my opinion, for him to be uh, having these, uh, you know, incidents on the field. It, you know, I've just never seen anything like that. Uh, in in my time covering the team, certainly not a teammate going after the starting quarterback the way Eric McCoy did. And you have to know Eric McCoy. I mean, Eric McCoy is a mild-mannered guy. He's a team captain. Uh, He's not prone to uh, volatility or to emotion like that. So I think if it were one incident, you could explain it away. But we've seen a pattern of behavior here, and I think that's why it's a little disconcerting and, and and what I would say lastly about that, about this situation is I don't think it's as big as maybe some of the fans and maybe even some of the other media is making it out to be. But also think it's bigger than what the players and some of the coaches are making it out to be. I think it's somewhere in the middle.
1: Hey, what made Drew Brees? You said it. But what made him able to be that that way was he left everything on the field and, and while he had good games and bad games. He set records. And man, when you're in that position, it makes you, it makes you able to sort of be however you want to be. And in Carr's case, he's not left anything on the field yet that that we are inspired by. I mean, he's had these little moments of brilliance and he said, oh, we just have to put it together for four quarters. We keep saying that, but he keeps not doing it. And then this other motion of lashing out, I've seen people in corporate environments that lash out at others. That's just their way of saying, I'm insecure. It's your fault that I'm failing. You know, and, and, I, and that's just you know, that's just where I am. And in his case, he's done it so many times. Um, it's clear that he has a hard time being accountable for his own actions. Now, I wish he would just say, I played like crap. I mean, nobody else is responsible for this. It's me. i got to quit dumping the ball off you know, so much. I got to look down the field. I got to trust my receivers more. But he doesn't do that, man. He's just—you keep wanting them to say how he really feels. And if he really feels what he's saying, then he's—he's he's a terrible leader. That's—that's that's what I observe.
0: Well, this is some of the, the same frustrations I think Raiders fans had with him uh, and during his previous tenure with with Oakland and Las Vegas. It was exact same things. That's why we've talked about it before. You know, I think we all bought into, oh, it'll change in the Saints organization, this functional organization, this culture, and lots of times it doesn't. I mean, it's I've learned over the years. I mean, uh, very very rarely do you have a Drew Drew Brees type signing and free agency where where you have this kind of incredible or or Demario Davis turnaround. It just doesn't happen very often. Often you get what you, what you saw before. Uh, you know, we've seen that. A good example would be. The two defensive tackles the Saints brought in, Nathan Shepard and colin saunders they 're both solid players, but I mean they haven 't lit the world on fire they 're basically what they were before they came to the saints and that 's usually how it plays out
1: well look with uh, with carr let's let 's face it some of his best numbers were under John Gruden, and John gruden doesn 't suffer fools john gruden doesn 't take up doesn 't take anything from anybody, so you can only imagine what those conversations might have looked like. And you know, in you know, in the conference room with the door shut, you
0: know? yeah. Yeah, so, like I think that's a fair point, Ricky. Yeah. You know, it's not just Derek Carr. I mean, there's the whole organization. I think the standards have been lowered, and so everyone's looking for an easy answer. I've said this before. Who can we scapegoat? What's the simple answer? And it's not simple. It's immersive here, and there's problems across the board. And just look at what Sean Payton has done in Denver. Look at how much better Russell Wilson is playing this year with good coaching compared to last year. I think it's all, I mean, they might win that division, Ricky. I mean, it's an amazing coaching job.
1: One other quick comment before we uh, close it out. Um, One of the things that I noticed uh, in this game, defense played better. But truthfully, if Young had had been more accurate, there were a couple of plays that would have turned into touchdowns. I mean, did you see open receivers like I saw them?
0: Uh, Yeah. I, I thought Bryce Young was terrible in that game. And I say that. Thinking he was going to be a great player, but I don't know if his confidence is shot or what. But they've got a major reconstruction job with him in the offseason to get him built back up because he played. That's why I say context. You know, yes, the Saints played better on defense, but man, there were guys open. He wasn't even giving his receivers a chance to make a play. And, And, you know, I don't know how they're going to win a game the rest of the year. Maybe he had a bad game, but he looked terrible to me.
1: We're going up against a hot New York Jets team. He would have thought I would be saying that, but they—they they are hot. You—you you, got to be a little concerned. We got less than a minute.
0: Yeah, Tommy DeVito, right? <laughs> the Italian <laughs> sensation. They've won three games in a row. They're one of the hottest teams in the league. And just one quick thing: Wink Martindale, their defensive coordinator, one of the most aggressive in the league. They will blitz on third down. A huge test for Carr in the Saints' offensive line.
1: Sounds good. Hey, it's been been great to see you, my friend.
0: All right, Ricky, have a great weekend, buddy.
1: You bet. Hey, when we come back, we'll continue the conversation. We'll see you after this break. Mm-hmm.